You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. and I were away at my sister-in-law's home in BC. One night, Marilyn said, come here, I want to show you something. So she walked me through the kitchen into the uh, utility room, and there where the washing machine and the dryer are, and she walked up to the washing machine, and she pointed to the panel at the top, and she said, look, the next time we buy a machine, I don't want all that stuff. She's talking about buttons and lights and all that, and very serious. And I'm like, yes, dear, you know, because I like buttons and lights. So when I go in a store, I'm like, oh, man, look at the technology. Boom, buy that. And she's like, no, I don't want that. It's interesting. Uh, we have, uh, we kind of have a struggle at home with the TV remote. And now, you know, I have, it just happens to be that because of, I have a certain kind of system, you have to have two remotes to run it. And I know how they work. But when I go away, if you just push one wrong button, the whole thing's just messed up and you can't find your way back. Does anybody here have a struggle with that? <laughs> you, oh, okay. All you non-techs, I'm so sorry for you. But uh, I'm telling you what, it's, it's a battle. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I like stuff like that. When I get in a car, I, I, I was raised with, you know, we didn't have much money. So when my dad bought a car, it was basic. I mean, it was like a family. We need a family vehicle to hold seven of us. And uh, back then it was just station wagons. And we got a station wagon, no toys, no air, nothing but just an AM radio. And let's all be happy. You know, it's like, uh, wow. In the day that when I... Uh, started buying my own vehicles. I don't know what it was, but I think it's because of how I was raised. I'm, I'm just the opposite. I want every toy in the car. I want everything. You know, it's just one of those things. I like options. But quite frankly, I don't want to have to sit down to any kind of mechanical equipment and have to read the manual before I can run it. I, I want to just get to it Play with the toys later, but I want to be able to drive my car, turn on my washing machine, uh, you know, turn the TV on, without all that stuff that goes in front of it. And obviously today it seems like it's getting worse and worse. But you know what? Uh, There's an analogy here, which is simply that it seems like anymore when a new person goes to a church to visit a church, it's kind of the same way. You have to sort of sort through all this stuff to figure out who's who. And and sometimes you don't know what these people are all about until you sort through it all and see what's underneath the surface. And I think that that's important for us to understand that that is sometimes a problem, and we need to address that as a church and understand that that's that's an issue that's real for a lot of lot of people. I uh, I want to address an issue in a series I've called it under the hood because I want us to pause. <clears throat> as a church, and just kind of re-examine ourselves and 
and uh, really understand what it is we're projecting to everyone else who comes in this place. I think it's important for us to do that. And I think we can sometimes lose sight of it. And I think what happens is, uh, those of you who are newer, I want to sort of help you uh, shortcut to the to, to the real meat and potatoes of who we are underneath the surface here t- today in the next few weeks. So we're going to have some issues that are going to come up, some things that you normally wouldn't hear on a Sunday morning, but I'm asking God to give grace for some of these things. I, I, I chose Psalm 145 to sort of kick us off today, and we're going to be there in just a moment. But if you were to, uh, if you were to go on our website, you would see uh, <laughs> that for the last how many years we've had... Four words that are listed on our website, all starting with the letter E, and there's really no definition to them. They're just there, and I think sometimes we wonder, well, why are those words there in the first place? And I even looked at it myself and said, you know, really, I probably need to help us understand why those words are there. And they are this, exaltation, exhortation, edification, and evangelism. And I, I call these the four expressions of who we are. Uh, I don't know about you, but first impressions aren't always true, but first impressions are extremely important. And sometimes we make, eva- we make value judgments on, on people when it's a first impression. Obviously, when a new person comes in the door, they are taking in all kinds of signals and, uh, and sort of computing those things into their mind about what they like and don't like about uh, this place as soon as you walk in a new place. When I went to church at my sister-in-law's church two weeks ago and walked in, I was doing that very thing that anybody else does. I'm walking from the sidewalk into the building and I'm thinking all kinds of stuff. Like, for example, when I went in the door and uh, the entrance door to the church and it was it was basically like a lot of homes. It was just a little square area, and then you either had to go down or go up. I thought, well, that just doesn't work. I mean, how do you get a handicapped person in here? Uh, maybe they carry them in. I don't know. But it, it was certainly not conducive to that. So we walked upstairs and went into the sanctuary. And along the way, you know, there's, there's some people strewn on the stairs and saying hi. And got to the top, and there were some greeters at the top. And you know, you shake hands and get the bulletin, you walk in, and you're just sort of taking all that in, and, and pretty soon, because we're relatives of a member of the church, it's like, oh, this is, these are my relatives from Ohio, and bang, you have to hug everybody you see. So it's just, <laughs> you know, when you don't know anybody, it's just, you know, I know you now, so if you want to give me a hug, I know you, it's, it's okay, but when you don't know anybody, I'm just like, hey, that, that's not me. So I'm like, you know, I just feel awkward. And I know when we get to heaven, let it all go. We're just going to be, you know, huggy bears, all of us. And they had a worship team. As a matter of fact, I took a video of it during church. It probably wasn't appropriate, but I was like, you know, I'm shooting a video. I wanted to just sort of remember the memory. But I was looking around during church service, and they're, they're singing, and I'm, I'm just in the back, you know, kind of looking around, sort of half singing, but I'm, I'm doing probably what most visitors do. If you don't know a song, well, I happen to know the songs, but still, you're, you're just kind of there, and you're, you're taking it in, but you're also busy observing. You're, you're looking at the people there, and you're, you're wondering things. Now, this is how I think, maybe you don't think like this, but I'm wondering, okay, is that guy over there, is that genuine? Because he's like, you know, 
he's, he's, he's really having a good time. Is that genuine? Is that real? Or is that just a momentary high? That, that, that lady over there, is, that, is she real? I mean, there was this guy. He, uh, there, were, there were a lot of ranchers there. And there's this guy. He's, I don't know. He was kind of a cool-looking dude. He was tall and sort of thin and nice-looking guy in jeans and a shirt. And he was by himself. And he was just sitting the row in front of me on the, so I could get a good look at him. And I was watching him a lot during the service. And, you know, he was kind of just doing this during some of the songs, just kind of tapping his leg. And he wasn't singing a whole lot, but he was there. He was into it, you know. But then a couple of songs came up that maybe he knew, and he started singing. And, and uh, my mind just was, I guess, blessed and pleased to see a guy who's all by himself, doesn't have a family with him, and he's just, he, he was worshiping God. One time I saw him kind of just raise his hand a little bit and sing. And he wasn't, he wasn't putting on a show for anyone else. He was completely into himself. And uh, he, was, he was worshiping God, and I, I was impressed by that. I left uh, blessed, and it was nice to be there and see all that, and uh, that there's a church in another place that's much like we are, and uh, it was encouraging to see that. I thought to myself, well, I'd come back to this church. They were friendly, and they sang good. And the, the, it was very different. The preachers were different than I would be, but uh, I still enjoyed it. They were very funny. I'm not a funny guy. They were very funny. They, there were a lot of jokes told that morning that kept me going, so uh, kept me awake, so it was good. <laughs> But anyway, this, uh, uh, this idea of an impression is, is important to me. And uh, later on, we'll get into a study back. I want to go back into eventually 1 Corinthians 14. But there's a, there's a whole section in there about worship and how people are stirred and moved and sometimes even shaken by our worship if our worship is genuine and powerful in the sense that it's honest. And, and today, you, you wonder if it is. So, so with all that, I'm just sort of trying to introduce this fact that we are a church who does certain things, and people see these things, and how is it affecting others, and how is it actually uh, what's behind the projection of what we do in our actions and our expressions. We just finished worship, and I was pleased this morning with your worship today, and I felt as though it was, was very genuine, and I think our church tends to be that way, uh, but uh, I still think we need to talk about it. What's under the surface that produces the expressions that we exhibit at Alpine Bible Church? I uh, uh, was on the plane, actually, uh, going out, and I was thinking about If I was going to, in a nutshell, describe four basic features of Alpine Bible Church, I was listing these down. This would not necessarily be your list, but it was mine because of what I think is important for us. And I I wrote these down. The first one was that this is a church that preaches the whole counsel of God. That that has to be a high priority. Uh, Would you agree with me on that? Uh, And I sort of spelled that out, that, that we would be challenged by the Word of God, that there would be a constructive application for us. Uh, that it would have the right to be corrective in our lives, uh, but also that it would be encouraging. And so, so the whole counsel of God. The second thing I listed, which you might not think about, was leading from the Word of God. Uh, that's a distinctive I hope that we have that maybe you don't think about too much, but everything we do, I hope, is purposeful and contextual. If you go on our website and you look and you'll see uh, spelled out in our uh, 
uh, in our statement of faith, you'll see that everything we say we believe and do is supported by Scripture. I've had many, uh, some of you actually, come and say to me that when I was on your website, that's one of the things that drew me to take an interest in who you are because you're operating with a scriptural base for everything you do. I said, yeah, yeah, we try to do that. The third one was this, teaching children from the Word of God. Uh, we believe in spiritual shaping. Uh, we, we don't believe in glorified babysitting. Uh, we, we want to put an input into your kids' lives that will be a lasting effect in their lives. So our teachers take serious that the Word of God is taught to little kids. Even down to preschool, they're, they're hearing the Word of God. And uh, I hope that that uh, it shows itself in your homes. Uh, worship that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit and centered on the Word of God. And I think that we all just sang Words that actually were doctrinal in many of the statements that we sang. Words that were true and pure and right for us. And I believe that's so obviously critical. And then the last one's a bit different. Uh, Experiencing warmth, welcome, and community. That's one of the highlights that I hear every time someone comes here as a visitor and they... I go visit them later on. They say, you have a very friendly church. And that, that says a huge thing, obviously, about who we are. In Psalm 133, it's only three verses long. But in Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head. Now, all of you who are into scented oils, please do not get them out and start pouring them on everybody's head. That is not what it means. That is not what it means. But obviously, there's this sense of refreshment. And, and, and when you are under pressure, when you're under uh, stress, when you are uh, looking and searching for an answer, for something to help you, when you're looking for peace, when you're looking for a hope, and you walk into a church the one thing that just begins to work in your life that changes things in your life and helps you through them is just how you're received by people. And so this sense that somebody cares about me, and I, I don't think we should like overwhelm anyone with like gigantic hugs when they're visitors and they feel weird like me in the first place, but we should certainly have an atmosphere of love and, and welcoming and, and warmth and especially this idea of a spirit of unity that is so attractive in such a divisive world, right? So those are my basic features that I think make up the, an effective Bible-preaching church. I hope that's true. But irregardless of that, somebody has to get past the first impressions before they'll actually look deeper into who you are. And so I trust that even today, those of you who are visiting, you would be able to process through the first impressions and get to something way more serious about who we are beneath the surface. That's where we want to go. So let's look at the four E's. I want to take us to uh, this word exaltation today, first of all. Well, we'll be here maybe two weeks. I want us to sort of start here in Psalm 145. And so let me begin by reading, I will extol you, my God, my O King. And I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He starts off with this 
uh, praise psalm. And uh, obviously it reflects what we just did together as a church. We were exalting the Lord Jesus Christ in song and praise. And uh, that's very important. And obviously, as he begins, he uses this word extol. It's not the most common word uh, in, in the Psalms, but it's the word that we see here. And the word extol is, is the word for praise, but it's an action word. You, uh, you can praise God without, necessarily without any action, but you cannot extol God without action. So the, the idea here is that, uh, and if you were to uh, look up in, uh, in the Hebrew and try to sort of walk through what this word means, it, it means it has many definitions. They're all reflective of to, like to rise or to raise, uh, to lift up, to hold up, to offer up. All these things are actions that we do, that we display or we hold up that which is, uh, is praiseworthy. Uh, it can also mean that you're proud of something. You, in pride, hold something up as a, as a pride moment. A guy holds a trophy up, and it's a proud event, but it's, it's to be seen by everyone. Uh, you set up something is another definition for perhaps setting up an altar or setting up. It can even be used negatively. You can set up an idol. But the idea is to lift up and, and put before others that thing which is to be worshipped or praised. But it's interesting in that, in that whole definition that there's one other definition that almost just doesn't make sense. And I was reading the definitions off in the car the other day to Marilyn. I said, hey, I don't know, have you ever thought about this? The word extol, it means lift up. And I was going through all that. I said, did you also know it means to breed worms? Where does that come from? But then I got to thinking, you know what? There's a good way to apply that. There's a perfect way for me to apply that today. Because, you know, our God is so uh, desirous that we praise him in, and he talks about worshiping him in spirit and in truth. This idea of, of and so the psalmist here actually makes note uh, of his extolling that in verse 2, every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Uh, if you look over on 146, Psalm 146, verse 2, while I live, I will praise the Lord. I was in uh, the hospital saying this, praying this to the Lord. I I realized that I was actually going to make it through that event. And I was saying to the Lord, while I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. There's a sense of consistency that flows out of genuineness. And I want to say that, you know, the Lord is obviously very concerned when we worship him and it's not genuine. So like in Psalm 12, verse 2, he talks about those who have flattering lips. He says, I will, I will destroy those who have flattering lips. I mean, God is not impressed with those of us who turn on and turn off praise as it's convenient for us. Sometimes we come to church and we get all geared up to praise God. Well, I'm going to praise the Lord, but what did you do yesterday with him or Wednesday or Monday? Is he on your lips as a praise uh, for all that he is and all that he does and his continuance in our lives so that it flows out of us naturally? Because if you can just turn it on and off, like sometimes even churches that have performance mode and turn it on. Uh, there was a couple, uh, you would know if I told you who they were. Uh, they've been around a long time, but they sing gospel music. They were in Cleveland years ago. And a very close friend of mine happened to be within earshot of that couple before they went on stage. 
And as they walked past, that couple was in a vicious argument. And then, you know what? It's like the gun went off and they had to go on the platform. And they walked on the platform and led, you know, thousands of people. Uh, uh, I think it was in, uh, what's the old basketball place in Cleveland? I've, uh, anyway, uh, they, they walked on the platform and led that crowd, I don't know, 15,000, whatever that thing held, led that crowd in worship. And somehow I think that we can oftentimes go into a worship mode and literally breed worms. Because if it's distasteful to God because we're lifting him up as it's convenient or conducive for the moment or to impress somebody or uh, to turn it on and turn it off however we want, you can understand why that would be nauseating to God if it's not genuine. And he calls us on it. So I want you to know today, if you're spectating here today, witnessing who we are, I pray that you see genuineness in our praise. Because in this world we live in today, people need to see the real thing. And they're looking for that, I believe. He says in verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And then he goes on to say, And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. In uh, verses 4 through 7, he begins by fleshing out this idea of God should be greatly praised. He should be greatly praised. And so let's break this down. He should, first of all, be greatly praised for his unsearchable greatness. I'm going to go through five things here. His unsearchable greatness. He should be praised for that, verses 4 through 7. And we can break that down further because he talks about, first of all, his works. One generation shall praise your works to another. Uh, by the way, that's the appropriate way that things are supposed to happen in the body of Christ. It, there's this generational handoff of faith, experience, and testimony. Uh, younger generations need to hear older, I always say this, uh, older generations give praise and testimony, uh, not in some general way that has no specifics. They want to hear, what has God done? What is God doing? Does God still do anything, or is it just he's the God of the Bible, but not the God of today? And so there needs to be in us, those of us who are older, uh, a handoff of, let me tell you what he's done. <laughs> let me express to you what he's done. Uh, let me tell you how he's fixed this problem. Let me tell you how when I prayed this took place. Uh, let me tell you how he carried us through a tough time. Uh, how he gave peace in this tumultuous moment. Uh, let me tell you how he met our financial needs when we had no recourse and he pulled us through. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we could say, but uh, that is so critically important. And we should then be giving praise all the time for what he does in our life, I praise him, praise him, praise him for what he's done in my life recently. I praise him, I lift him up for that. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I praise him for it. His unsearchable greatness. 
His majesty is mentioned here. It's mentioned twice in this text, but his majesty, verse 5. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. It's one of those things that's hard to do. He says, I will meditate on his majesty. Now, no human being has really truly seen the full effect of the majesty of God. That's not for us to see. So we can only meditate without the visual. We, we try and we, we try to sort of sense the majesty of God. We have different ways and places that we can do that. Uh, you know, over in Psalm 8, I'm just going to sort of highlight some things. But in Psalm 8, there's this sort of description of, of uh, nature by the psalmist as he talks about that. And he, uh, he basically says, uh, most of us know many of these verses, but, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. There's just this sense of majesty in that, in that understanding. But beyond that, there's Isaiah 6 where he says, I saw God on his throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he has that sense and he sees uh, angelic beings with him. That, and he tries to describe that in his, in his vernacular. And it's very tough to do. But over in Revelation, we have... Uh, uh, can I read Revelation, just part of Revelation 4 to us to remind us? This morning we, we had a, already a sense of this, but let me just read a few verses to you, uh, in, uh, starting in verse 3. Uh, and he who sat there, this is, uh, or, sorry, verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat, on the, uh, uh, sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes and in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day and night saying, and here's what we sang this morning, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. There's this sense that we close our eyes and try to picture this, and it's so difficult for us to do humanly, but that is a real place and a real event. And it's close to us even now as we are here this morning. We are, there, there's such a, a, a small distance between us and glory. It's just that we, it's veiled, but we're there. We just don't realize it. And one day we're going to wake up in glory and see the entire thing in spectacular vision. And realize it was there all the time. But we can so easily forget. But when we exalt Jesus Christ here... We're thinking about his works and we're thinking about his majesty. 
it leaves us wondering and speechless and breathless if we can capture that. Then he talks about his goodness and his righteousness. He says in verse 7, They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. I love that uh, phrase. The the word uh, utter is, uh, uh, the phrase is actually to eagerly utter. It's, uh, it's again, a very, uh, uh, you know, sort of, it actually means bubble forth. It's actually the translation. Uh, They shall bubble forth your goodness. Now it's it's the uncontainable testimony of what God's done. It's so it's so incredible His goodness toward me and His righteousness, and I want to bubble that forth. It's uh, it goes back to uh, John chapter four, where uh, Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, and He wants to express to her that the water He's going to give her will spring forth. It'll bubble forth out of her. Uh, he says, "Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water Water that I shall give will become in him or her a fountain uh, of water springing up into everlasting life. You know what is sad is that when we have learned how to cap the well, many believers have just put a lid on what is inside. Maybe uh, you've allowed life to crowd out the blessings of Jesus Christ and Today you're so focused on the trials, the troubles, the issues, the, the gripes, the complaints, the struggle. You, you're so focused on all the dark stuff that you can't find the joy uh, that ought to be on the lips of every believer in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we all go through those valleys, but you, you want to come out of that. And I pray you're praying your way out of that because the, the, the thing that is so attractive uh, when we are around other believers is that they are bubbling forth with something that's real and genuine and and carries them through. You you want to be around someone like that, don't you? Now, you don't want to be around somebody who's who's a phony, who's so bubbly it isn't real. Sometimes that happens. I had a lady in our church years ago. I was a teenager, so, you know, I'm always observing. I'm always watching people. That's what I used to do. And I still have her clear in my head. I had her measured as a kid. She's a phony baloney. And she would come into church and just be oh, 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 oh. It was almost ridiculous. Praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. And I just thought, if, if, if a little kid came along and kicked you in the shins, I know you wouldn't say that. She just wasn't real. I saw her coming from the back of the church once. She had this thing. Some of you know her. I won't say who it is. She had this thing, but she had bright red lips sometimes. But she would come from the back of the church looking for certain people. And if I I caught her coming up the aisle, I would run the other way. Because it's not going to be me. (laughs) And sure enough, she'd catch somebody else. And it's usually somebody who's been on the platform or somebody who's, you know, was mentioned that morning or whatever. And she finds them and she'd come up and kiss them and put a big red lips on their face. And she thought that was so funny. Oh, I just love you and Jesus. Boom, you know. <laughs> now you know why I have trouble with hugs. <laughs> <sighs> it wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. Sadly. But to sing from our hearts... He, he, uh, he mentions this little phrase, uh, and shall sing of your righteousness. 
When you start to just process your sin and the righteousness of God that he chose to come into your life and you know, put holiness into your life through his spirit indwelling in us. And he, he moves in our lives. And this sinful, wretched person has been changed by the righteousness of God. That I can now stand before God through Christ as free of sin. And that righteousness that has set me free should set my spirit free to sing praises to him. So when we sing in here, I pray that there's a genuineness of heart that says, I'm so thrilled with what he has done in my life. Of course I want to sing praises to him. And how could anyone be quiet or silent with that in mind? It's a demonstrative expression of praise or extolling. Then he moves into verses 8 and 9 with another reason why we greatly he is greatly to be praised by his, for his grace. You'll see in verses 8 and 9, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. When it says he's full of compassion, I just want to say this morning, there, there's enough of him for you. There's enough compassion for you, no matter who you are. Uh, he offers you himself. It says he's great in mercy. Uh, when I think of that understanding, uh, just to understand that whatever you've done, he will forgive you. He, he offers us that grace and mercy. When you go over to Psalm 103, I, I need to read that. Psalm 103, I think we read this recently, maybe Wednesday night, I forget, but we... We touched on this somewhere in our travels in the last week or two. But in Psalm 103, just to remind us at verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, praise God, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Saints should be praising the Lord. For he, in verse 14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. His grace toward us. His compassion. He is not willing that any should perish. Peter has written. His grace is wonderful. Then he talks about verses 10 through 13, his kingdom. We praise him for his kingdom. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. There's this sort of, uh, I don't know, wonderful sense today of this mingling of angels and saints. And I know that we, uh, again, and I can't project this for anyone else, but in my own thinking, I know without any doubt today that there are angels among us even here as we praise God who prays along with us. It's amazing that uh, one day we'll, we'll know this for a fact. We'll see it. We'll experience it. But just to consider this and contemplate this. And then when you think about across the world, I got a, I got a, 
a message this morning from my friend in Sri Lanka. He sent it out. You know, they're, they're ten and a half hours ahead of us, so they've already done church. And so he sent me pictures of church today, just uh, reminding me that across the ocean, out in the middle of nowhere, really, in a sense, just this little dot below India. And as they're over there, and, and you know that could be a very tough place to live, there are saints who just finished worshiping Jesus Christ just like us. There's this tie, this connection that we have that's so precious. It's, it's so unlike anything else. What we have in this experience collectively, this is his kingdom across the globe. And, and even as it incorporates in the heavenly kingdom along with it, this glorious kingdom that we're a part of and we should celebrate the, the praise of even that, that should compel us to praise God. We're a part of something bigger than we are. We're a part of something greater than Sugar Creek or Tuscarora's County. We're far more involved in something so much greater than that. As true saints, genuine saints, call on the Lord Jesus Christ collectively today. We call out. There are saints crying out for him. There are saints looking up. There are saints who are watching and waiting for his return. I hope that that's the case for you. While at the same time, there's all of heaven waiting for this grand reunion when we will all come together around the throne one day before our Creator and Lord and our Savior. Can I read this to you? I'm going to go back to Revelation chapter 5. Can't help it. Got to read it. There's this collection that we see in this text, and I believe that we're in this text. Chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures, and the elders... And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I believe the writer did that so that we could not compute this. So your abyscus couldn't count this. There's no way you could keep up with this. He says, they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. And riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. It's a glorious kingdom. It's a powerful kingdom. It's a majestic kingdom, as we just read. It's an eternal kingdom. And it's an enduring kingdom. And we should be moved and stirred by the understanding of that. Even if we can't see it, it's all around us and we're a part of this. We give praise For his faithfulness. In verses 14 through 16. The Lord upholds all who fall. And he raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Our God is faithful to the fallen. Hey, how many times have you fallen as a believer? Uh, you know, it's interesting in, uh, in Proverbs, uh, we read in chapter 24, verse 16, that a righteous person may fall seven times, but the Lord will 
bring them back up. It, it, the number is not the issue. The, the issue is that he will lift you up when you fall and stumble. I don't know of too many believers. I, I can't, I've only maybe met one or two in my life that I'm, in my caricature of them, I would say they, they probably haven't fallen, but they would say they had. Most of us have fallen. Most of us have failed at some point in our journey. Most of us would say, I, I have not measured up to the expectations of a righteous God. I have fallen. But we have a God who knows that. As we already read, he knows our weaknesses. He knows we're human. And it's not an excuse for us to say, well, then I guess I can go ahead and fall. That's not what that means. But it means that when you do fall, you can trust him. He will pick you up because he loves you. And what a blessing to know that and if that doesn't stir your blood to praise him and worship him this morning. Then he says also that he's faithful to the humble and the hungry. I think of that uh, phrase in Matthew 5, that beatitude that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, for they shall be filled. Filled. Not an appetizer. Filled. There are the seeking, those who seek. Maybe this morning you're seeking for something. Maybe you're here today seeking. I, I need an answer. I need help. I need hope. I need something. I need that vacuum filled like we heard in the video. Maybe, maybe that's what you need. You don't need to turn, but you can mark it down if you want and read it later. But in Acts chapter 8, you have the story of this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch who traveled to Jerusalem with an entourage. And he's leaving Jerusalem now. And he happens to have purchased... Isaiah chapter 53 in a scroll. All the chapters were in scrolls, and he purchased this scroll. It was a scroll uh, purchased by, from the scribes was very expensive, and he had the money to do that. He purchased, and I, I always read that, uh, that, that uh, text and thought to myself that the scribes that sold that scroll, because would he have known to pick that particular scroll? I don't think so. He just wanted some uh, truth uh, from the Old Testament to read. I don't think he went in saying, I, I want specifically Isaiah 53. He wouldn't have known that. But as he comes out with that scroll in hand, I, the scribes who almost detested Isaiah 53 because they couldn't explain it. They didn't like what it said. And so it's always been something that they wouldn't even teach. And so I can see them selling him the scroll of Isaiah 53, thinking they're ripping him off. They got their money. He got his scroll. But it was the very thing he needed to read to save his life. And as he's in the chariot reading this scroll, it was exactly what, uh, you know, uh, this wonderful believer named Philip, who's actually waiting for the, uh, at the crossroads and sees this guy going by and hears him reading and recognizes the text. And he jumps out and says, do you know what you're reading? And the guy said, well, really not, but would you explain it? So Philip jumps in the chariot and explains Isaiah 53, and the guy gives his life to Jesus and gets baptized. Not what the scribes had in mind. God's faithful to the seeking. I think of uh, Cornelius in Acts 10. I've always loved that story. This Roman centurion who says with his family, he feared God with all his household and prayed to God always. I'm <laughs> thinking, what does a Roman centurion pray? A guy like this, what is he praying for? 
it's obvious from the text, he's praying to know more. He's praying to know the God that he sort of believes in, but he doesn't really have a clear picture of what that means. He's asking God to show who he is. Those are his prayers. And guess what? God went out of his way to send an answer to this guy's house. He sent an apostle. Peter, you go to his house and explain to him the gospel. And his whole house then not only were believers in the God they didn't know, but then became personal believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for them. Their lives were changed. They were seeking, and the Lord fills them. Are you, what are you seeking for this morning? Are you seeking for this God who, who uh, these believers at Alpine are worshiping this morning? As you come in here, you see praise and all that singing going on and stuff. You know, are, are you looking for something that's real? And hopefully you've seen that in our worship and in our exaltation. I, I hope you've seen it demonstrated this morning because we believe he's real. And he has affected us, and it causes us to want to sing praise. We're not here singing, crank up the music, boys, here we go. It's time to start, 9.30, let's sing. That's not what we're doing here. We're exalting the living one who has changed our lives and continues to affect us. How can we not exalt him? Also for his righteousness. Look at verses 17 and 19. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him, and he also will hear their cry and save them. Oh, my goodness. To summarize that, calling on the Lord in truth. I went back to the earliest comments about truth. The Lord's looking for the genuineness of our hearts. Calling on him in truth allows us to come near to his righteous presence. It allows us to come into his presence and allows us to be heard and to receive his salvation. We must call in truth. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul wrote, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's done in our lives. And it's all based on us responding to truth. I praise him today for that work in my own heart. I hope you are doing the same. And lastly, his judgment in verses 20 and 21. Watch this. It says, the Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked... He will destroy. Oh, that's not popular. That's not, that's not common. That's not popular. That hurts to hear this. Who are the wicked? I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The wicked are all those who refuse to believe in Jesus, refuse to follow him, who, whether by deliberate abstention from the truth or, or uh, perversion of the truth or uh, falsifying the truth or those who just don't want to talk about the truth, those who want to ignore the truth, they all fall in this camp of those who are against him. And he turns them on judgment day as being wicked. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. This judgment those who love him are preserved. 
I don't know how you could not praise him for that. I extol him because I'm preserved by him, because he's caused me to love him. Those who do not love him are considered as to be judged eternally as wicked. I want you to, one last thing I'll read, then we'll close. This is John chapter 5, just a summary of what this text says. In John chapter 5 at verse 25. Jesus speaking and he says this to the crowd. Most assuredly I say to you. The hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of life. Of condemnation. Every person is going to be confronted and either received with blessing or rejected with judgment. That's right out of the Word of God. And I don't praise Him necessarily for the judgment of unsaved people. I know that I should. I, it makes me quiver. It makes me shake about all that I love, people I love that do not follow him. But God must be faithful to who he is, and for that I do praise him. He must be true to his own nature. I I praise him for that, because if that's not true, then I I can't guarantee he's going to love me and be faithful to me. But for those of us who call on his name, we are set free in him. Amen? I praise him for what he's doing. His incredible great works about you what he's doing 